What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I'm your host, and my name is John. We are back with episode 54 for the eighth week in a row. And this week, we are going to be analyzing and predicting the UFC Nashville card going down this weekend, headlined by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Anthony Showtime Pettis. Towards the end of the program, we will be recapping the UFC London card that went down this past weekend, along with discussing some general MMA stories from throughout the week. But with that being said, we're going to start things off in Nashville, Tennessee, with our 12-fight card starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. The entire card will be broadcast on ESPN Plus, just like the past couple uh, cards have been. It's been nice, you know, you don't have to change stations, change platforms, go from your computer to your TV to whatever streaming uh, process you use. You know, you can just uh, keep on the same stream the entire event, so that's a real luxury I've been enjoying with ESPN Plus lately. And, uh, you know, the UFC is bringing a solid 12-fight card to Nashville. I actually went to a UFC card in Nashville a few years ago, Glover Teixeira versus Ovin St. Preux. That card actually stunk compared to this one. This one's a pretty good card. You know, we have a kind of an unorthodox matchup in the main event with uh, Pettis and Thompson. And then there's a, a bunch of other solid matchups in the card as well. So we're going to get right into breaking those fights down right now. Kicking things off in the flyweight division, we have Eric Shelton, who is 12-5, taking on Jordan Espinosa, who is 13-5. The opening betting line for this one was Eric Shelton at minus 152, Espinosa at plus 110. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.ubc, Eric Shelton minus 170, and Espinosa plus 150. So a little bit more action coming in uh, Eric Shelton's way. Uh, I definitely do not disagree with that Eric Shelton has the much more UFC experience. Uh, Espinosa is actually making his UFC debut in this one. He does have two fights on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, and I don't think you know the uh, octagon jitters will be too much of a, a problem for him you know we talk about octagon jitters a lot but you know dana west tuesday night contender series you're in an arena with you know 50 to 100 people with dana white there with the cameras there it's a very intimate weird setting uh, that you're fighting in so i honestly think that, that environment might be even a little more hostile than the ufc at sometimes but uh, getting down to the matchup in this one, Eric Shelton, he's uh, you know, a pretty good grappler. He's looking to get this fight to the floor. He uh, has good level changes, and uh, you know his his striking is not nothing too special. You know, uh, he he can counter punch from time to time, but he's really looking to get this fight on the floor. He uh, you know he's a small guy for the weight class, even though this is 125, and most guys are small. He just seems very. Uh, you know, like a skinny, lanky guy, just doesn't really have a lot of strength behind him, honestly. But he still gets the fights down to the canvas a lot of the time. But he, uh, you know, he does it a little recklessly. He sometimes is a little too desperate for the takedown and kind of sticks his neck out there. And you saw that in his uh, most recent fight against Joseph Morales. Joseph Morales was attacking that guillotine the entire fight whenever uh, Eric Shelton was blessed in a double leg. Morales was threatened with a guillotine for a few seconds. You know, it didn't look too tight. You know, Shelton did a good job defending all of them. But you definitely want don't want to be sticking your neck out there, giving people that that opportunity. And his opponent Jordan Espinosa's got a pretty nice uh, darts choke. You know he, that's how he finished one of his opponents on the Tuesday Night Contender series. 
Um, but, you know, he and Espinosa's got pretty good takedown defense as well. You watch that uh, that same fight where he got the Darce choke. He, uh, you know, defended a takedown very well in that fight. Showed a really good balance. Looked like his opponent was about to complete the takedown. But Espinosa stayed on his feet. So uh, look for his takedown defense to be on point in this one. And, uh, you know, I think I would give the striking edge a little bit to Espinosa. Uh, he's got some pretty, pretty nice kicks. He's got some power in his right hand. But he, he gets hit a lot. You know, his defense is not good. And his, his opponent, uh, Durcho, on the uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series uh, was tagging him with left hands all throughout their fight, you know. Not really too much uh, power behind any of those shots, and it didn't look like he was rocked too badly, but Espinosa's defense is definitely not perfect, so I think even uh, the lesser striker in this matchup, Shelton, could possibly cause some problems for him on the feet, so I, I think that Espinosa's got some good takedown defense. I think he's got the better striking in this matchup, but I just think that Shelton uh, is, you know, constantly involved in close fights, a lot of split decisions, um, and he constantly, you know, he, he constantly, I wouldn't say comes out on top, but he has very close outings in all those fights. So it's going to be hard to pick the debut, the, the debutante in, uh, Espinosa in this one. It's a really close fight, and honestly, where the where the line is now, I don't think I would lay chalk on Shelton. I think the the value might even be on Espinosa, but I don't think there's much value on either guy. I think this one's just a pass, and uh, but it's nice to see that the flyweight division is keeping fights around. So uh, if I have to pick, uh, I will go with Shelton in this one uh, to get it done by decision. Next fight in the bantamweight division, we have Chris Gutierrez, who is 12-3-1, taking on Ryan McDonald, who is 10-0. The betting line for this one is Gutierrez opened as the plus 125 underdog to McDonald at minus 165. We have since seen a line flip to Gutierrez now minus 235 to McDonald at plus 195 over on our affiliate sportsbook 5dimes.eu. So I don't know if this was a line error on best fight odds. That does happen from time to time. But Gutierrez opening as an underdog was just insane. You know, I mean, I, I could understand it. You know, uh, McDonald is uh, an undefeated guy coming into the U.S. UFC Gutierrez uh, made a made his UFC debut and lost uh, in his most recent fight against uh, Hayoni Barcelos. No real shame in that loss, though. He came into that fight on short notice against you know a well-proven guy in the UFC and you know held his own in there for a little bit. I think he actually even hurt uh, Bar Barcelos on the feet uh, from, at uh, at one point, but. Um, you know, he, he uh, Gutierrez, he's got, uh, he, his takedown defense is not very good. He's not very uh, active off his back, except for he does throw elbows from the bottom. Uh, that's one good thing. Barcelos was able to take him down and, you know, hold him down. But Bar uh, you good to see that Gutierrez was attacking with those uh with those elbows uh, off his back and you know he uh, can threaten a sub from time to time you know throw up an arm bar off his back but in terms of getting back to his feet or scrambling out of positions he doesn't really seem too um too gifted in that aspect but his opponent mcdonald man he's looks it looks very very sloppy everything about him looks sloppy his grappling and his striking his his defense and his chin is, is horrible you know you you see uh he, he's fought some low-level regional opponents, and he's gotten absolutely rocked in those fights where he's almost gotten knocked out clean. Uh, I believe it was the the Matt Murphy fight um, where he was, you know, uh, just dropped with punches like like over, I think, twice in that fight, which was, you know, it's just insane to see that he's facing low-level guys with seven and nine records, and he's getting dropped in those fights, so... And, uh, you know, it, they weren't hard punches. They, you know, they, they were coming from a mile away, and McDonald was still dropped by them. So even though we haven't seen Gutierrez really show off his power too much in the UFC, you know, I definitely think he's going to test the chin to McDonald in this one, possibly even knock him out. 
you know, McDonald's grappling is not going to be good enough to uh, to go for. The, he can hit takedowns, but you know, his he's sloppy with his top control. He doesn't really, he can't really finish shoves too well. He had some a lot of trouble finishing his his lower level opponents on the regional scene. So I definitely don't think he'll finish Gutierrez. Um, but uh, I think Gutierrez will be, uh, you know, throwing that oblique kick, or uh, you know, he throws a lot of oblique kicks. Uh, he, you saw that in his uh, his LFA fight. He has a very nice win in uh, LFA uh, over the gentleman's name is Mario Israel. Um, you know, somehow a split decision in that one, but I thought he won that pretty, fight pretty comfortably. And uh, I think uh, wherever this fight goes, Gutierrez will be the better fighter. And I would, uh, you know, even tr uh, anybody who got in on his action so far, you know, congratulations to you. And it's honestly even like a, a good parlay piece to throw in at uh, minus 235 right now. So the pick is going to be Gutierrez to get this one ins done inside the distance. Next fight is taking place in the women's strawweight division. We have Random Marcos, who is 8-6-1, taking on Angela Hill, who is 8-5. The opening betting line for this one is Angela Hill, the minus-130 favorite to Random Marcos as the minus-110 underdog right now over on our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu. We see Angela Hill, minus-150 to Random Marcos at plus-130. So uh, more action coming in Angela Hill's way, and uh, I, I agree with that. I think uh, this is a very very favorable matchup for Angela Hill. I think that Randa Marcos fights the same fight in almost every one of her, her opponents. You know, it's the same game plan. She tries to get those takedowns. She looks bad on the feet. She maybe has some success in round one, gets her opponent to the floor once or twice. Doesn't really do much damage. Doesn't really go for submissions. Just maybe kind of stalls on top or stalls against the cage. Maybe wins round one, but then usually drops rounds two and three. Man, I, I think, like I said, this is just a... A cookie cutter um, outcome for all around Marcos's fights. They all go very similar. Uh, you know, she's on a. Ever since she's gotten the UFC back in 2015, she's gone. You know, lost win, lost win, lost win, lost win, lost win. You know, she's got some decent victories in there. Carla Esparza, uh, Aisling Bailey, Juliana Lima. But um, you know, she's never really uh, impressed me with anything at all. She did have a pretty hard fought draw with Marina Rodriguez in her last fight. But Angela Hill is a much more polished opponent than Marina Rodriguez. That was Rodriguez's debut, and I thought she looked pretty good in that fight. And, uh, you know, arguably won that fight. I didn't really see a 10-8 uh, for any rounds for Marcos in that one. So, you know, uh, Angela Hill's takedown defense has been getting better and better. She's fought a lot of wrestlers over her career, and she's been forced to, uh, you know, uh, learn the hard way sometimes by getting taken down, spending some time on her back, losing fights, and then going back in the gym and getting better uh, with her takedown defense. So, uh, you know, her last fight against Courtney Casey was a split decision loss. You know, that was a terrible scorecard in my opinion. I thought Angela Hill won that fight pretty clearly. She outstruck uh, Courtney Casey in that one very heavily or very handedly. Uh, but Angela Hill's got you know good, great kickboxing. Honestly, she's good in the clinch. She you know throws elbows and knees. She's got really high output. Um, and I just you know I'm I'm a big fan of the girl. Honestly, I, I like Angela Hill a lot. And uh, you know she always brings it. She always has exciting fights, and it's it's refreshing. Like I said, she's fighting an opponent who's gonna try to take her down and stall her against the cage and just make the most boring fight possible. And Angela Hill is gonna look to uh, box her face off and you know kick her legs, kick her in the face. So you got it's pretty. Uh, pretty clear that uh, you cheer for Hill in this one. I don't know. Maybe you see that, that some weaknesses in Hill's grappling that I don't see and think that Marcos 
is going to be able to get the takedowns and wins round one and two. But Marcos is really bad in the clinch. You know, she's if she's not able to get her takedowns uh, off a single leg or a double leg or something like that, she usually goes for some bullshit head and arm throw or just ends up getting stalled out in the clinch and, you know, uh, losing the round there. Um, so... I can't stress enough just how unimpressive Marcos has been throughout her entire uh, UFC career. And, uh, you know, Hill's got been thrown in there with some stiff competition. She's held her own, and she's, uh, you know, come out with some nice victories. But uh, this this would be a, a big one for Hill, and I think that she uh, her takedown defense will stand up or will uh, be able to stuff the takedowns of Marcos, and I think that she'll punish Marcos in the feet, possibly even getting a late finish on Marcos. Like I said, Hill's got really good output. She's accurate. She lands a, a lot of different strikes knees elbows punches kicks so uh if that if marcus is not able to get her takedowns going i can see that damage accumulating up and uh he'll maybe get in a finish in around two or three you know it's not likely the most it's very likely this fight goes to decision it's like minus 400 that it goes to the decision i think but i honestly think that uh we could see a hill a late finish so uh maybe i'll look for some props uh i'll probably get some good odds on that one so uh with that being said, we're going to move on to the next fight, which is taking place in the women's flyweight division. We have Alexis Davis, who is 19 and eight, taking on Jennifer Maya, who is 15 and five. The bet opening betting line for this one was Alexis Davis, the minus 230 favorite to Jennifer Maya at plus 170. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, FiveDimes.eu, we see Alexis Davis minus 140 to Jennifer Maya at plus 120. So both of these women are pretty similar to one another. They are both jujitsu black belts. They're both, you know, quite sloppy, unathletic. You know, neither of their striking are very good. So uh, this one could be a bit of a, a slop fest, honestly. So uh, I just give the edge to Alexis Davis in this one because she's very opportunistic with her grappling. Even though she was taken down by Liz Carmouche recently, she was able to, you know, threaten with a submission off her back or, you know, go for a sweep. So, uh, you know, both of these women, uh, you know, have great jujitsu, like I said, both black belts, but uh, neither of their takedown defenses are very good. So this fight is likely to end up on the floor and they're both so sloppy on the feet that I think it's, you know, just destined to end up on the floor. So it'll be interesting. That's definitely where, where they're going to be uh, evenly. I think they're evenly matched on the feet too as well. They're equally, uh, you know, bad strikers. Uh, Maya's got, you know, a decent right hand for her, and uh, Alexis Davis is good at catching kicks. That's really the only note I have about both of these women striking, but, and uh, I think uh, Maya, you know, is she got stuck on her back, and uh, which fight was it that I watched her, where she was, uh, you know, taken down, and she didn't have much uh, threat off her back, which is the opposite of her opponent, Alexis Davis, who's always threatening off her back. Yeah, uh, same opponent, Liz Carmouche, so while Liz Carmouche was able to take um, Maya down and hold her down. Uh, Carmouche was able to take Davis down, but not able to hold her down. So that 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 common opponent. I mean, they fought within the same year. That common opponent is going to be a, a huge factor in this matchup. So the the way that Davis was able to handle Carmouche was you know a, a much more impressive than the way that Maya was able to uh, handle her. You know, not going totally by MMA math, but I just think that uh, Davis would be the better grappler on here. I think that if she gets on top, she'll keep. Uh, She'll, she'll stay on top if I if Maya gets on top I think the Davis will uh, will sweep or reverse position or possibly even submit her off her back so this one should be contested mostly on the ground and I just give the the slight edge to Alexis Davis she's more proven in the UFC been in the UFC for five or six years I'd say 
or four or five years maybe and then uh maya's only had one fight in the ufc and hasn't looked too good so far so i understand the people who got in early on uh, maya plus 170 but where the odds are now i'd say it's probably favorite pass so the next fight is in the Bantamweight division, we have Marlon Vera, who is 14-5-1, taking on Frankie Sines, who is 12-2. The opening betting line for this one was Marlon Vera at minus 245 to Frankie Sines at plus 175. Since then, uh, over on 5dimes.eu, we are seeing Marlon Vera minus 160, Frank Sines at plus 140. So line margins tightening up. You know, where the initial line was set was uh, a little too high for uh, Vera, in my opinion. This fight was actually rescheduled. I think it was supposed to take place uh, in on the 235 card on March 2nd, maybe three weeks ago. But I think it had to be rescheduled. Uh, I think uh, Marlon Vera was sick the week of the fight and just couldn't properly weight cut. So... That's interesting, you know. Uh, they, you know, these guys thought they were about to fight each other three or four weeks ago. Then they have a huge adrenaline dump, and they have to, you know, go back to training for a few weeks. You know, they might have, you know, gotten a little out of shape the weekend, the week after the fight. So it's interesting to see how these two gentlemen will perform after they got their most recent fight canceled. So especially uh, Vera, considering that he was the one who pulled out due to illness. So I hope that he's, uh, you know, recovered to a hundred percent before this matchup. But. Uh, getting down to how this one's gonna play out, you know, Marlon Vera is uh, you know a notorious slow starter. He he loses the first round to a, almost every opponent he faces, and guys who who are not very good. You know, look at his two most recent fights: Waligi Buren and Guido Canetti. He had both second round finishes for him, but he lost the first round to both of those gentlemen. So he's a uh, you know it's it's interesting he just doesn't seem to start fast ever you know he needs his coach to slap him around a little bit before he uh, starts the fight but uh you know he's tough though he, he can he can absorb a lot of shots and he'll keep fighting you know he's 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 hard to finish uh you know he's uh let's see he's never been finished in his career so, yeah so it's gonna be uh i don't see frankie science finishing him either uh, even though uh vera's Vera's uh, probably his biggest weakness would be his defense on the feet, man. He just gets hit too much, you know. Uh, Douglas uh, De Silva DeAndrade was, you know, he's not the highest level striker. He throws a lot of single shots. He's not the highest uh, output, and he's not the most technical either, but he was able to easily outstrike Marlon Vera over the course of three rounds, just, you know, tagging him up, giving him hematomas, and cutting him open. And, you know, uh, Andrade won that fight comfortably. Almost a pure striking affair in that one. So, uh, Andrade was, uh, you know, went for a few takedowns towards the end of the round. But, uh, you know, Vera has always, uh, you know, lost his uh, to the fights to the, you know, better strikers. You know, Linker and Andrade, like I mentioned. But, you know, it's uh, he doesn't get out grappled that, that often. He has very good jujitsu. He's got, you know, decent takedown defense. And uh, he's, you know, hard to uh, completely out grapple. But he's facing Frankie Sines here, who's, you know, I'd say one of the best grapplers in the Bantamweight division. His his takedowns are, are relentless, man. This guy is, you know, notorious for going for 10, 15, 20 takedown attempts a fight and usually hitting a high percentage of them. Now, it doesn't usually mean that he's going to win the fight completely because we saw him fight Marab Devashvili, and I believe he lost that fight after getting nine, 11 takedowns in that. Is that and actually, maybe that was the other way around. Maybe Marab got 11 takedowns and Frankie Sines won. Who knows? Um, I, I guess I have a distorted perception of that fight, but... Uh, Frankie Sines is, uh, you know, his his boxing is pretty decent too. He uh, 
he's you know like I said he he's trying to uh, close the distance he's trying to make this fight a uh, you know grinding type of fight where he takes you down and you know he does he doesn't you know he doesn't take top position in too much in the uh, in the play. He uh, likes just taking you down, maybe hitting a few ground and pound shots, and then letting you get back up, and then just hitting that takedown again. So he's not really looking to go for full mount or go for submissions. He's just looking to you know win rounds with takedowns, win rounds with some ground and pound, and uh, you know his striking is not very not very. Um, I'd say it's his weakness, you know. I'd say if this fight stakes on the stays on the feet, I I think that Vera will be able to outstrike Sainz to probably a two a two to one decision. Sainz has a decent low kick and some nice boxing, like I said, but his defense is not very good. He does get hit a good amount, so uh, you know I would if this fight is uh, if Vera is somehow able to stuff all the shots of Sainz and constantly get back up to his feet, I see Vera winning this fight via you know two one decision just by landing the harder strikes on the feet, but. If uh, Vera starts slow as usual and gets taken down and gets tired and you know uh, is is uh, exhausted from defending the the takedown attempts of Signs, I could easily see Signs you know winning this fight on the scorecards, edging out two, possibly even three rounds. With uh, Vera's slow start, you don't want to be a slow starter against a wrestler like Signs because he will tie your arms out. He will make this fight grueling, and but before you know it, you're going to be too tired to. Uh, to be able to finish the fight like you did in your past couple of fights against those low-level opponents in Kennedy and Beren. So uh, I, I got to side with Signs in this one, man. I think he will be able to hit the takedowns. I think he will be able to edge out two rounds, maybe drop the third round to Vera or the second round. But uh, Signs has got good cardio. He digs deep. If he's you know if it's one one going into the third, I would really favor Signs in that one. Uh, I think he you know can uh, he can he, he's his style is good for icing rounds too because. If he if it's a close round with 30 seconds left, he can blast for that takedown and you know make a good uh, impression on the judges' scorecards going into that last uh, 30 seconds. So uh, the pick is going to be uh, science to get this one done, and you know I, it's it's a 50-50 fight honestly. So the value I'd say would it would be all over science at 140. So uh, I got a unit on him at plus 135. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Bobby Moffitt who is 14 and three taking on Bryce Mitchell who is 10 and 0. The betting line for this one opened up Bobby Moffitt as the minus 185 favorite to Bryce Mitchell at plus 145. Right now over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes we see Bobby Moffitt minus 165, Bryce Mitchell plus 145. So two way action coming in on this fight. I'm a bit surprised that uh, Bobby Moffat is not more of a favorite uh, in this fight, honestly. You know, Bobby Moffat impressed the hell out of me in his last fight. He actually closed the favorite to Chas Kelly. Um, and, you know, Chas Kelly was a proven, proven guy in the UFC. He had, you know, something like seven, eight fights in the UFC against, you know, really good competition and some nice wins. And uh, Bobby Moffat making his UFC debut coming off the Tuesday Night Contender Series. And he goes in there and he taps out. Uh, Chas Kelly, uh, not only a good grappler and a good wrestler, but you know just a, a good overall fighter. So really impressive uh, victory from Bobby Moffat in that debut. Uh, Bryce Mitchell also uh, picked up a nice win in his last fight on the Ultimate Fighter 27 uh, finale. He was on the uh, that season the Ultimate Fighter lost to Brad Katona. A really good fight with Brad Katona on the Ultimate Fighter. I, I would recommend checking that fight out. It's on uh, Ultimate Fighter season 27. 
Um, you can uh, I think it's episode 10 of that season. But yeah, Katona and Mitchell had a really good fight. Uh, and, you know, Mitchell was able to edge out that close victory uh, against Tyler Diamond in his last fight. But he did not look too impressive doing it, honestly. Uh, you know, he... He did have some uh, some good uh, takedowns in that fight. His striking is is pretty solid, honestly. He's got a he's got a good left hand. He's got a solid body kick, but his ground game is just not very good. Uh, I think that Bobby Moffat is going to control this fight on the ground, and he's going to probably submit uh, Bryce Mitchell at some point. He uh you know he he doesn't look too too help um he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing off of his back you know he was uh, taken down by Katona and you know lost the grappling in exchange his nose fight you know on the feet it was a pretty close striking match with Katona Katona's got good boxing as well but you know Mitchell definitely looked like he was more comfortable on the feet in that fight and uh you know when some he doesn't have the great great takedown defense uh Bryce Mitchell and you know he he's very reckless getting back up to his feet you know he just explodes back up to his feet uh whenever he gets taken down so i think that that will you know leave him open for a, a submission uh at some point for uh Bobby Moffat and another thing that's going to come into play in this fight is the, the low kick Bobby Moffat throws a mean low calf kick he, he was he was spamming it uh, in that fight against Chaskelly and he did so in the, the Tuesday Night Contender Series as well um, against uh, yeah, Kilburn in that fight so uh, and and if you watch uh, Bryce Mitchell's fight against Tyler Diamond, he he does not, and against Katona, he does not check those leg kicks very much. He does not seem to think that they think it's a valid defense to check those leg kicks. But I guarantee you that Moffat will be will be uh, throwing that calf kick, and he will be uh, you know immobilizing Mitchell early, making it easier to get that takedown, making it harder for Mitchell to explode back to up to his feet. So at some point, I think uh, Moffat gets the takedown, wears him out with uh, top control and some ground and pound for a few minutes, and then eventually gets the submission uh, probably in round two of this one. So the pick is going to be Moffat to get this one done by submission. And, you know, at minus 165, I, I really like uh, Moffat in the spot. Next fight taking place in the women's bandweight, or excuse me, the women's flyweight division. We have Macy Barber, who is six and zero, taking on JJ Aldrich, who is seven and two. The opening betting line for this one was Barber at minus two sixty five to Aldrich at plus one eighty five. Looking over at our affiliate sportsbook five dimes we see Barber at minus two forty five, Aldrich at plus two hundred five. So there's two-way action coming in this fight. I'd say a little more on uh, Barber's way. Uh, this line actually uh, bounced all over the place. At one point, uh, Macy Barber was at plus 195, which is where I was fortunate enough to uh, to bet her at. I think she got the plus 185. That was the best that she was at. But plus 195 is looking pretty good. She's been at 220, 230, now at 245 all week. So I'd say I, I'm happy with my price that I got on her. But it's definitely not a slam dunk matchup. You know, um, Barber is... Is definitely the the less ex, less experienced fighter in this one bar uh you know she's got more uh experience in the ufc you know barbers only have one fight in the ufc but uh you know i, I like to uh I, I don't think that barber i wouldn't classify her as green at all i mean she's fought on uh, lfa her entire career you know not exactly a very low level promotion she, so you know she's been in the spotlight early she's had you know six fights in two years 
less than that. This will be this will be her seventh fight in you know less than two years. So she's very very active, uh, you know, and she really impressed me with that win, uh, win over Hannah Cyphers. And you know, go, look going into that fight, I thought Hannah Cyphers was going to be a pushover. I thought she was you know brought in as a lamb to slaughter. But you know, we learned in her in the last fight that you know Hannah Cyphers is no joke. She uh, she picked up a very nice win in her last fight against Poliana Viana. Uh, as a as a big underdog, she still wasn't getting that respect. So you know, Cyphers is, is no joke, and Barbara ran through Cyphers, man. She you know the first round she had a little bit of struggle, a uh, little bit of trouble with uh, Cyphers. She wasn't able to get the takedown, and um, you know, uh, Cyphers takedown defense was holding strong, but. And the second round, man, Barbara just went after her. She uh, Barbara throws a lot of kicks, man. She's a big, she's a big, long girl, and she can, you know, she's got super long legs, and she, uh, you know, can cover a lot of distance with them. So she'll be throwing a lot of body kicks, a lot of head kicks. She's, uh, you know, vicious with the elbows. She loves elbows on the feet, on the ground. She she had a nasty, nasty TKO of uh, Hannah Cyphers with some ground and pound elbows in her last fight. You know, Cyphers was an absolute bloody mess. And uh, Cyphers is strong, man. She had, like I said, she did de- defend the takedown a while for, from Barber in that one. Uh, and she was able to, you know, hold her own against Viana. She was able to, uh, you know, stuff takedowns and, you know, win that fight against Viana. So uh, Cyphers is really strong. And Barber was able to, you know, straight muscle her down to the canvas and, you know, bully her in the clinch, bully her on the ground with that top pressure. Um so uh, you know, but Aldrich is you know she's she's used to uh, you know taking on some st- stiff competition. She was an underdog in the last fight against Poliana Viana, like like who I just mentioned, you know. And I think here's the thing: I think that people are you know high on Aldrich right now. She is on a three fight win streak. But look look who over that that win streak is. It's over uh, Chen Mi Jun, um, who if I recall correctly is. Uh, yeah, very very low level opponent is is uh, Chan Mi Jun losing her last fight to Shuri Kondo, two of the lowest level women in the UFC. Danielle Taylor, uh, unanimous decision in that one. You know that's Danielle Taylor is a little more legit. She's definitely uh you know uh, a decent fighter of her own right. So that's a nice one. But Viana, you know she she beat Viana in that fight. You know uh, the the sharp money was coming in on Aldrich uh, all week in that fight, and we knew that Viana was you know a terrible strike. She's not very special on the ground either. She's labeled as some, you know, ground specialist, but in reality, she's like your average purple belt from your local jiu-jitsu gym. So, uh, just picked up a nice win in that one. She's riding that win streak, so she's uh, people are high on her. So, uh, you know, I, I I do favor Barbara in this matchup, obviously, obviously because I bet on her. I think that uh, Barbara is going to be pressuring pressuring her. She's going to be kicking her. She's I, I just I just don't think Aldrich has the the physicality. And uh, you know the the power to be able to to back Barbara up and to keep ba- Barbara off her. Barbara's going to be you know marching forward on the feet and looking either for a takedown or looking to you know uh, get in the clinch and land elbows and knees in the clinch. And I just think that Aldridge is going to have a hard time stopping her from dictating the pace that she wants to. Uh, you know Aldridge does have some decent takedown defense. You know she can defend a, a, a shot. But when you start stringing those takedowns together, when you go for, you know, one, she stuff it, and then you go right to the second one, that's when she gets taken down. You know, you saw that in the fight against Tatiana Suarez on tough. You know, no shame in that loss because Suarez is a beast, but that was, you know, a much greener version of Suarez. 
And, uh, you know, like I said, Aldridge defends one takedown, but then gets taken down on the second one. She's got good submission defense. She did not uh, get submitted easily in that one. Eventually, she did get rear naked choked, I believe, by... Uh, Suarez, but she she did not go down easy. She, yeah, she's training with uh, really good uh, training partners out in Colorado, uh, Rose Nami Yunus, and I think uh, Shevchenko as well uh, trains at that uh, Colorado gym from time to time. So she's getting good training in, no doubt. This is definitely a close matchup. I think, you know, Aldrich could steal, you know, a 29-28 type of decision if she's able to stuff the shots, get her boxing going, and, you know, out outbox uh, Barber. I would say Barber's weakness is probably her boxing. Boxing. you know she's a bit hittable on the feet um and she has, her head movement is you know a little bit off and uh so you know Aldridge you know has a path to victory it's it's you know getting some respect sitting down on some boxing shot uh, on some uh, some punches and uh you know edging out that 29 28 decision but I I gotta side with Barbara I think the Barbara is gonna be you know like I said her pressure is gonna be relentless she's gonna be you know just swarming offense non-stop and I think that uh she's a good chance of stopping Aldridge in the second or third round or uh uh, cruising her way to a decision, maybe three rounds to zero. So, pick is going to be Macy Barber to get this one done. And another note on this fight, Macy Barber is 20 years old. I think she's the youngest UFC fighter on the roster. You know, super impressive. And both of these women are moving up to strawweight in this fight. So, you know, I was a little bit worried that, that Barber was moving up. She's, both of these women seem pretty... Uh, pretty fit for strawweight but it's interesting that they're both moving up i don't really understand why but um you know regardless hope the barber picks that one up so speaking of change in weight classes we got uh in the featherweight division we have luis pena who is five and one taking on stephen peterson who is 17 and seven the opening betting line for this one is luis pena minus 230 to stephen peterson at plus 170 Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.ubc, Pena minus 250, Peterson at plus 210. So uh, two-way action coming out on this fight, but a little more Pena's way. It's, uh, it's you know, Pena was looked really unimpressive in his last fight. Uh, you know, we, he came into that fight, you know, people thinking he was going to be uh, possibly a prospect at 155. He was coming off the Ultimate Fighter, looked really good on that show. I don't think he was able to, I think he had to pull out of the season because of injury, but he still fought on the uh, the finale and picked up a really nice win over Richie Smolin via, via guillotine, or, uh, guillotine in that fight. But the fight against Trezano, I don't know if he was sick in that fight or something bad happened to him before the fight, but he looked very, very mediocre in that fight. His his footwork was off. He was overextending on his punches. He was getting taken down. He did not look good on the ground. You know, it was just a very, very worrisome uh, performance from from Pena in that one. And what do you want to see after a, after you know a fighter does that? You want to see him, you know, take six nine months off. You know, tighten all the holes in his game, uh, and you know, come back better. But instead, Pena decides to come back four months later. And he decides to drop a weight class down to 145. This man is six foot three. That's that's big for a lightweight, and he's now dropping down to a featherweight on some George Roop shit. Man, this that's in, that's incredible. I can't believe that. I don't know where he's getting that ten pounds from. I thought he looked pretty shaky at 155 in his last fight. You know, maybe the weight cut was a reason why he looked so mediocre in the cage against Trezano, but. The man's dropping another 10 pounds from that that skinny frame. I don't think this is just like a recipe for disaster. Honestly, I think that, that Pena is overlooked on the books 
right now at minus 250 just based on this alone i mean how can you trust this guy at minus 250 after he looked like shit in his last fight and he's deciding to drop another you know six to eight percent of his body weight uh in addition to you know however much he's cutting so you know that's that's bad bad news you know the only reason why he could win this fight is because his opponent steven peterson is is low level he has terrible boxing defense he eats punches non-stop he's got you know he's got some decent grappling he uh you know can definitely hold his own in the grappling i think that if Pena looks to level change in this one uh i think it actually will be fairly competitive on the feet i think Pena definitely has the biggest advantage on the feet in this one but you know i may i don't know maybe it was the first time that he fought on like a, a regular ufc card you know the ultimate fighter finale isn't much of a, a ufc card he finally fought on the you know ufc's 25th anniversary show he maybe had a bad weight cut and that's why he looked so bad in that fight and maybe he looked a lot more polished his striking will look like he did uh back in the the, the ultimate fighter and maybe he will there'll be a new Pena out there but like i said he peterson's gonna give him the fight he wants he'll probably will stand right in front of him he's he doesn't really check leg kicks he doesn't really you know move his head too much so i think that Pena will be uh kicking his leg in this one i think that uh peterson will be eating eating uh Pena's boxing all night and Pena will probably win a decision two rounds to one but it would not surprise me if if steven peterson you know tested that chin of Pena uh somehow you know with some loopy overhand uh, punch, uh, maybe just rock that chin of Pena, cutting down all that weight. So, uh, you know, the pick is going to be Pena, but the, honestly, I think there might be a little bit of, of value on Peterson. I definitely would not tr uh, trust Pena at minus 250. Moving on to the next fight in the flyweight division, we have Jussier Formiga, who is 22-5, taking on Devison Figueredo, who is 15-0. The betting line for this one is... Juicier, or excuse me, Figueroa opened the minus 175 favorite to Formiga at plus 135. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, fivedimes.eu, we see Figueroa minus 142, Formiga at plus 125. So, uh, interesting. I definitely think where the the opening line was set was a bit too high in Figueroa's favor, and we're seeing some uh, steady action coming in on Formiga these past few days, you know. Uh, you know, looks like around March 16th, you know, since then he's steadily dropping. It was up to plus 155 at one point. Wow. 165 was the highest he got. And now he's all the way down to plus 120 for Formiga. I definitely think that's the right side of this fight to be on, Formiga. Um, you know, Figueroa's record says 15-0, but between you and I, he's 14-1. <clears throat> he lost that fight to Jared, uh, the monkey god Brooks. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy that the UFC cut Jared Brooks considering, you know, his, uh, how skilled that guy is. You know, I think he was 2-2 two and two in the UFC, and um, I think both of those, you know, you know those, that uh, loss against Figueredo, he won that fight. And that loss against uh, Torres, he was winning that fight before he uh, knocked himself out. So, you know, it's he could be 4-0 in the UFC if he fought smart, and the UFC just cut him. And it doesn't even seem like they're, they're getting rid of the flyweight division after all. You know, we have freaking eric shelton and jordan espinosa on this card and you're cutting guys like jared brooks and shorty torres and stuff like that it's just you know very questionable decisions in the ufc's management but that's that's uh that's the status quo over here at martian mma and we're used to it so 
let's get back to the matchup and this one I, this is by far the closest matchup on the card man uh, it's it's so hard to get a read on these two guys they're they're very evenly matched they're both very well rounded and you know this fight should be the main event no doubt about it Th these this fight should be the main event in the main event you have Stephen Thompson who's fought in main events for like his past like five out of his six most recent fights have been five round fights and he's typically a very you know low output a pretty boring guy you know i think three or four of those fights that he's been in have been really boring uh till fight boring both the Taiwan fights boring mcdonald fight boring uh so yeah, like i said four out of his last fights were uh were all actually no more than that more than that this dude is like just constantly scheduled for main events i don't know why the ufc wants to torture us with steven wonderboy thompson fights Anthony Pettis is moving up from 155, has no title implications at 170. He's never going to sniff the title shot at 170. While, meanwhile, you have two of the, the top three uh, flyweights in the world right now, not including the champion, uh, Henry Cejudo. The number one is uh, Joseph Benavidez. Formiga and Figueroa are no doubt number two and three flyweights in the world right now. We've never seen either of these guys go five rounds, and we deserve to. You know, we we did, these guys are knocking at the door of a title shot, and they haven't had five round experience yet. While that's that's pretty that's pretty important. You know, you want to have good title fight. You know, the reason why the Demetrius Johnson was smoking the competition for the longest time is because the, the the UFC would see a flyweight win three fights in a row. It would be over low-level competition. It, they wouldn't have any championship experience, and they throw him into a fight with Demetrius Johnson, and he gets slaughtered. You know, they never give the flyweights the five-round experience they need, and you know you're seeing that as evident as ever with this fight being the the third fight on the main card. While you have, you know, Curtis Blades, Justin Willis ahead of them, John McDessie, Jesus Pinedo ahead of them. You know, I this this is the best fight on the card. It's the closest matchup on the card. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great fucking fight. So let's get into, you know, the matchup in this one. I've watched a ton of, a ton of fights on these guys. And, you know, like I said, I still don't have a solid read on on who's going to win. I don't have a strong lean at all. I capped this fight dead even at 50-50. So with that being said, the value would be on the underdog at Formiga at plus 120. You know, it's getting close to, you know, a pass on, uh, you know, on both sides. And this one is just going to be so good. I don't really want to bet a side because I just want to sit back and enjoy it. I think this fight will have stand-up. It'll have wrestling. It'll have scrambles. It'll have a jiu-jitsu in it. It's going to be a great fucking fight. So, uh, the, the striking advantage, I would say, goes to Figueroa in this one. I, he he throws with a little more power. The dude's got solid boxing. He you know he he drops his opponents a lot. He finishes them with ground and pound. And uh, you know he he's you know not too good defensively. He got dropped by uh, by Denis Araujo uh, back in a jungle fight. You, that's a that's an insane fight. Davison Figueroa versus De Denis. Araujo in a jungle fight 90 just watch that fight on youtube right now it's a crazy crazy fight i won't spoil it for you but actually i kind of just did uh but you know Araujo drops figurito in that fight twice it was a crazy back and forth war figurito eventually finishes him in the second round but you know, he showed a lot of weakness in that fight. There were times where Figueroa looked tired, had his hands down, and got dropped with punches. So, you know, he stayed in there. He he fought for, a, you know, a single leg and didn't get finished. So he, the dude's tough as hell. But, 
you know, that's definitely uh, uh, something to look out for. But his opponent, Formiga, does not have much power on the feet. He's he's very technical on the feet. He's got very underrated striking. He got, he's got he got a nice leg kick. He's got, you know, solid defense. He doesn't really get hit too much on the feet. So, you know, this the, the striking will, might be a little closer than we think. But I think what it's going to come down to is power. I think that Formiga, even though he's got good technique and might land some strikes, I think that when Figueroa lands, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect Formiga. While, you know, uh, when Formiga lands, I think Figueroa will just walk through it. So, uh, you know, where this fight, I think, has the biggest edge, I think, would honestly be the ground for Formiga. Even though, again, Figueroa, very solid on the ground. Um, Formiga, I think, is just slightly better. Um, Formiga is, you know, gets almost all of his opponents to the ground. I think he's uh, only lost one, maybe two fights where he's taken opponents down. And that was the Ray Borg fight. And uh, I think that's it. I think uh, the Ray Borg fight is the only fight that Formiga has lost where he took his opponent down. Um, you know, Cejudo, I don't think he was able to take his opponent down in that one. And, uh, you know, that's why he lost that one. But Cejudo, no, no shame in, in uh, not taking him down. Uh, but Formiga's, Formiga's takedowns are not that great. His his opponents usually end up, you know, end, end up getting on the ground somehow, whether it's, you know, catching kicks or, you know, the fight against Dustin Ortiz had a lot of weird scrambles where the, the fight just ended up on the ground. And, uh, you know, that's where Formiga shines. He, he gets great position. He, he takes your back, uh, you know, some of the best back takes and best back control in the UFC. It's not, you know, end-all, be-all. You're not getting submitted, no doubt, versus Formiga because some guys with, you know, some with decent straight and decent uh, ground defense, like uh, Sergio Pettis, uh, you know, was able to, de to defend the back attack of, uh, of Formiga. Dustin Ortiz has great submission defense, was able to defend it. Ray Borg, good submission defense, was able to defend the attacks of Formiga. So if Formiga takes Figueroa's back, it's not the end-all, be-all. Figueroa has a, like a ton of power and will just blast out of positions, you know. He will, you know, just use power and twist out or, you know, uh, will bump out of positions. And, uh, you know, that's definitely going to come into play in this fight, but... If you do that against Formiga, there's a good chance you could get submitted. You know, you you you're in, you get mounted, and you try blasting out of there. He will take that back, and he'll sink in that rear naked choke before you before you even know what happened to you. So, you know, that's you know, I think I think the Figueroa has the edge on the feet. I think he's got the power advantage on the feet. He could even drop and uh, possibly rock Formiga on the feet. While I think Formiga's got the edge on the ground, he could possibly submit Figueroa on the ground, but. You know, wherever this fight goes, it's going to be close. Like I said, I think whoever wins this fight will, will squeak out a 29-28 decision. Uh, you know, each fighter has a small chance of finishing. I think Figueroa has a small chance at, you know, TKOing Formiga. Formiga has a small chance at submitting Figueroa. But, uh, you know, do, do, I can't imagine listening to me right now saying Formiga and Figueroa back and forth trying to trying to distinguish who is who. It's, it's very tough. Um both crazy Brazilian, well-rounded guys with uh, crazy last names. But, you know, uh, the, I give the slight edge to Formiga, honestly. Uh, I think he's he's fought the better competition. He's, you know, he's dealt with explosive guys like Dustin Ortiz before. He's, you know, tapped out some really high-level guys like Oka Sasaki, um, Scott Jorgensen. Uh, you know, he's got, very, he's got very nice wins on, on his resume. Uh, well, you know, Figueroa does as well. He he defended the takedowns very well against John Moraga, really a uh, really good grappler, and was able to finish him soon after. He finished Joseph Morales. Uh, he had a corner stoppage of Marcos Beltran. He the dude hits hard, and he he knocks a lot of people out. So, 
if uh, if Formiga's diving for those takedowns and he's not having much success and this fight is on the feet, you know, look for for, for Figueroa to knock Formiga out. So, like I said, Razor close fight. It's dead 50-50. Can't pick a side. The value I'd say is on um, Formiga as the underdog, and I give a, a I'll if a, you know gun to my head, I gotta pick Formiga. But I just can't wait for this fight. It's the best uh, matchup on the card, and can't stress it enough how much this fight deserves to be five rounds. But that's enough about that. We'll move on to the next fight in the lightweight division. We have John McDessie, who is 16 and six, taking on Jesus Pinedo, who is 16 and four. The betting line for this one opened up. John McDessie as the favorite at minus 215 to Jesus Pinedo at plus 165. We're now seeing Pinedo at plus 260 to McDessie at minus 320. So much more action coming in on McDessie's way. Very understandably. This fight is, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty clear to read. It should be contested mostly on the feet. You know, Pinedo, uh, I believe, made his UFC debut in his last fight, uh, defeating uh, Devin Powell by decision. Not really too impressive of a victory in there. Devin Powell is a pretty low-level opponent. And, you know, Pinedo did not look too impressive, you know, beating him. Uh, his striking looks, you know, pretty average. He, he's very unorthodox in the feed. He has a lot of wasted movement where he's shaking out his arms and he's bouncing around and he's doing all types of weird stuff with his arms. But, you know, I just think that his striking is very sloppy. I think McDessie is going to be levels ahead of him on the feet. I think if Pinedo tries to change levels, McDessie will uh, either use his distance to uh, you know throw some knees and avoid the 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 the, um, the clinch at all, or McDessie will you know use his good takedown defense to uh, to stuff off the takedowns of Pinedo. And then once it's on the feet, I think McDessie will just have a clear as day advantage. His kicks are great. He's got good distance control. He's got he doesn't get hit much. He's got good boxing. He he moves in and out a lot, and uh, you know the only problem with McDessie is that he can be a little bit low output. He can throw, you know, he can look to counter punch a little too much, and maybe let rounds slip away from him from time to time. So that's the way the Pinedo wins this fight. If he does, he you know edges out a 29-28 decision. Just being more active than McDessie. You know, if he's constantly moving forward, he's got McDessie on his back foot, and McDessie is just being a little too. Uh, tentative like he sometimes is then you know Pineda could steal this one on the scorecards but I, I give that a very low chance of happening I think Mac Dessie will control this fight on the feet I think that he'll easily outstrike Pineda to a decision possibly even a late finish so the pick is going to be Mac Dessie and he's a nice parlay piece at uh minus 320 or whatever and if you got in on him at the money line and the you know the minus 200 range congrats to you it's a little too steep right now at, to, to trust on the money line at minus 320 but um with that being said we're going to move on to the co-main event in the heavyweight division we have curtis razor blades who is 10 and 2 taking on justin willis who is 8 and 1 the opening betting line for this one was blades at minus 245 to willis at plus 175 looking over at our affiliated sports book five dimes.eu we are seeing curtis blades minus 260 to justin willis at plus 220 so two-way action coming in this fight with a little more on Blades' way. I definitely agree with the action on this. I, I'm honestly a little bit surprised that the line isn't steeper for Curtis Blades. You know, Curtis Blades was just a two-to-one favorite over Francis Ngannou. He was minus. He closed minus two fifty against Francis Ngannou, and he's now minus two sixty versus Justin Willis. 
I don't know. I mean, I hear a lot of people out there talking like I wouldn't trust Curtis Blades at the price. Honestly, 260 seems like a great price for Justin or for uh, Curtis Blades in this fight. You know, starting things off, we'll go with Willis. Willis is, you know, he's a he's a fat boxer. You know, he, this you know, there's a lot of heavyweights who are you know bigger, fatter guys, but this guy is truly like a, a, a chubby. You know, guy who has you know no no diet, no discipline or anything. It looks like he could cut down to 185 pounds if he really dieted hard for a couple months. Uh, he just not, not a natural heavyweight at all. He's maybe five nine, five ten. Like I said, if he was really strict about his diet, he he could lose a lot of weight. But uh, you know that's gonna that's gonna be a very big uh, detriment to him in this fight. Curtis Blades is gonna be looking to blast takedowns. He's one of the best wrestlers in the UFC. The dude averages like 10 takedowns a fight or something like that. He's just constantly going for takedowns. He's got great ground and pound. He's, you know, got an iron chin. You know, people people are going to think that his chin is not very good because of that most recent Francis Ngannou knockout. That that has not, that was not, a, you know, a, a show of a bad chin. He got caught with a punch, you know, around the shoulder, hit him right in the back of the ear. You know, anybody would go down to that shot from Curtis Blades. You punch this dude in the face, you knee him in the face, he, he doesn't give a fuck. And, you know, you in the Overeem fight, Overeem hit him with a couple, with a combination of punches and two rock-solid knees to the jaw, and Curtis Blades marched through it and took uh, Overeem down right away. And Overeem's not easy to take down. Overeem's got a good takedown defense, and he's got good jujitsu. And, you know, Blades was able to take him down easy. He was able to get on top easy, and he was able to smash him. You know, that was uh, easily Blades' most impressive victory. And, you know, that 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 performance was why people were going to thinking that he was going to go in there against Ngannou and, uh, you know, was able to replicate the same game plan, just go take him down and blast him out. So, you know, Justin Willis, he's, like I said, he does have good boxing. He's got fast hands. He's got some power in his hands. You know, he, the opponents that he's faced so far, and excluding Mark Hunt, uh, you know, Chase Sherman, Alan Crowder, he was able to blast them. You know, he was able to knock them down, almost finish Chase Sherman. It seems like he has a little bit of, of, of finishing uh, problems. You know, it seemed like he had Chase Sherman out of there a few times, but was just not able to finish. You know, didn't have too much trouble with Alan Crowder. He was able to uh, put Crowder down, and you know the referee st uh, was able to step in there for that one. That was a more of a an obvious knockout. But uh, he struggles with the ground and pound. You know he's able to knock his opponents down, but he's just not able to uh, to finish up with that uh, that ground and pound to get the, the TKO victory. But you know I don't think that the Willis punches are gonna phase Mark uh, uh, phase. Curtis Blades in this one. Mark Hunt was uh, landing bombs on Curtis Blades' chin, and Blades was, you know, marching through them again. Uh, and, you know, Blades is no slouch on the feet. You know, he's definitely, you know, uh, his grappling and his wrestling is definitely his strength, but he's got decent striking as well. He throws a powerful leg kick. He can fight, off, fight behind a jab sometimes. And, uh, you know, he just he's just setting up that takedown. He gets you thinking about the, the, the striking a little bit, pawing that jab and kicking your leg a little bit, and then he'll blast that double. I think he has probably the best double leg takedown of anybody in the UFC. So we've never seen Justin Willis, you know, defend takedowns. He's, uh, his cardio does not look very good. You know, he, he definitely has a drop-off in cardio. His power drops off big time. So... Willis's uh, path to victory is in the first round of this fight. If he's able to test that chin of Blades coming off of that knockout against 
uh, Nagano, uh, you know, that's his best chance to win this fight. But if this fight gets out of the first round, I think that Willis almost has no chance. I think that Blades will take over, possibly get that ground and pound TKO like he did against Overeem, or, you know, win this decision two to three rounds uh, in the bag for Blades. So the pick is going to be Razor Blades to get this one done. Alright, so we have arrived at the main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We have Steven Wonderboy Thompson, who is 14-3-1, taking on Anthony Pettis, who is 21-8. The opening betting line for this one was Wonderboy as the favorite at minus 285 to Pettis as the dog at plus 205. Right now, over on our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.iu, we are seeing Thompson minus 392 Anthony Pettis at plus 320. So a lot more action coming in on Steven Thompson's way. I don't really blame it at all. This this matchup makes n no sense whatsoever. You have a, a, a lightweight, a career-long lightweight. The guy even tried uh, dropping down to 145 for a, a period in time for you know two fights and uh, eventually moved back up to 155. But he, uh, you know is now moving up to uh, 170 coming off that loss to Tony Ferguson. You know, Anthony Pettis has had a, you know, a steep steep fall from grace. Pretty crazy. At one point was 17 and 2, the UFC champion of the world. He was on the Wheaties box. Uh, and then since then has gone 3 and 6 in his past 9 fights, which is, you know, just crazy. You know, and it's against, you know, a murderer's row of competition, but still uh, regardless Pettis has definitely uh, had had a bit of a drop off over his career, and you know he's he's not getting an easy fight here. You know Stephen Thompson, even though uh, he's struggled a bit lately too with that that uh, quote unquote loss to Darren Till. You know he did uh, did come up short in those two fights against Tyron Woodley as well. Stephen Thompson is still you know one I'd say probably the best striker in the UFC. You know I'd say the the other ones would be Robert Whitaker, Max Holloway. And uh, you know those would be it, uh, maybe maybe T.J. Dillashaw, but you know Stephen Thompson has knocked out uh, Robert Whitaker. So you know in the first round too, he's knocked out a lot of good guys. Jake Ellenberg, uh, Josh, uh, Johnny Hendricks, excuse me. Um, he's got wicked kicks. He's got incredible boxing. You know he comes from that karate background. He's got that wicked uh, sideways stance. And uh, he's always whipping kicks around. He's got crazy distance control. You know, I think uh, Thompson's pr most impressive victory would be over Jorge Masvidal, especially over how great Masvidal looked th this past weekend. We all know that now he just knocked out Darren Till. Masvidal was able to, or, I mean, Thompson just outclassed Masvidal. He dropped him in that fight. He, you know, he was... Uh, you know, keeping Masvidal at range, he was outboxing him. You know, and Masvidal's got some of the best boxing in the UFC. So that just goes to show how good Stephen Thompson's kicking game is, and how good his distance control is, how good his game planning is. That he was able to work around Masvidal's boxing, and then basically beat him at his own game. He really did uh, beat him with uh, with pretty much uh, strictly boxing in that fight. He was just outstriking uh, Masvidal at will. Really, really impressive performance from Stephen uh, Wonderboy Thompson in that fight. And in that fight against Darren Till, you know, I, I gave Thompson three or four rounds in that fight. You know, maybe Till won rounds four or five or something like that. But, man, I think Stephen Thompson won that fight pretty pretty clearly. You could even argue that he won the fight against Tyron Woodley uh, at UFC 209. 
that fight he lost via a majority decision you know so this dude has you know never really been clearly beaten by anybody uh you know i think matt brown beat him back in the day pretty clearly but in the past you know five or six years it's been hard to beat steven wonderboy thompson he's a tough puzzle to solve and i think that anthony pettis is going to have uh little to no success solving that puzzle you know the where this fight gets interesting uh, if it's possible to get it to the ground i think you know pettis definitely has the advantage on the ground but thompson's got great takedown defense his distance control his kicks make it hard for you to close that distance make it hard for you to get a takedown um, you know, one thing about Thompson is he does not like those leg kicks. He doesn't like getting his, uh, the, that oblique kick. He actually has, you know, been talking about getting that kick banned for a long time for now. So, you know, look for Pettis to be chopping out those legs. My man chops those legs really well. He didn't give a fuck. Tony Ferguson just hurt his knees when coming off knee surgery. He started that fight targeting that weakness that of uh, Tony Ferguson kicking those legs right away. And I believe Stephen Thompson's coming off of a knee injury as well in that uh, till fight. I think he got his knee a little bit jacked up from one of those oblique kicks. So look for Pettis to be throwing that oblique kick right away. He, he is definitely aware of Thompson complaining about that kick being banned a lot. And he knows that it'll be, you know, a psychological thing if, if uh, Pettis is able to uh, start landing that kick early. Thompson even said that in that fight against Till that he, after a while, he wasn't concerned about winning. He was concerned about, you know, saving his knee. So, you know, look for Pettis to try to exploit that weakness of Thompson. You know, that's that's honestly where I see um, Thompson, or uh, excuse me, where Pettis having some success. If he's able to start kicking those legs and, uh immobilizing Steven Wonderboy Thompson a little bit, then I can see him, you know, possibly uh, rocking Thompson on the feet, possibly getting a takedown, maybe capitalizing on a, the, <clears throat> uh, on a submission. But I give Pettis almost no chance, you know, winning a decision in this one. I don't think he can ice out three rounds. Um, I think that the, the most likely way this fight goes is, you know, Thompson outstriking Pettis, you know, keeping this fight on the feet. Pettis is going to be willing to trade with Thompson on the feet, and Thompson is just going to be easily keeping that distance, easily kicking him, easily outboxing him. So the pick is going to be the huge favorite to get this one done, um, Stephen Thompson. But if Anthony Pettis gets those oblique kicks going and gets in the head of Stephen Thompson early in this fight, you know, look for it to be interesting. I will definitely look to be maybe live betting this one if uh, Pettis is able to start kicking that leg early. But that's really the only chance I give Pettis in this one. My man should have stayed at 155. He's clearly a welter or clearly a lightweight, and moving up that extra 15 pounds is probably going to be bad for him. You know, I could even see Thompson knocking out Pettis in this one. There's going to be a huge size uh, discrepancy in this one, and I think there will even be a pretty big uh, striking discrepancy for Thompson. I think Thompson will be able to easily outclass Pettis, possibly to a you know 50-45 decision if he doesn't finish him. So the pick is going to be Thompson to get this one done. So that is going to do it for the UFC Nashville card going down this weekend. Remember, this one is starting a little bit earlier, 5 p.m. Eastern time. The prelims kick off on ESPN in this one, while the um, main card of this one kicks off at 9 p.m. So with that being said, we're just going to quickly recap the UFC on London card that went down this past weekend, headlined by Darren Hill versus Jorge Mazidal. Uh, you know, it was a great card from top to bottom. You know, had a lot of decisions in it. wasn't the most thrilling card at all but still were some very solid fights in this card so starting things off mike grundy uh tko'd nad naramani in the second round of this fight mike grundy looking very improved his striking looked uh very solid in this one we didn't really get a good feel for his boxing on the regional tape but 
you know, he made some really good improvements over his time off and was able to outbox Naramani. A little bit of a back and forth uh, brawl in the second round. I think Grundy had Naramani hurt, then Naramani hurt Grundy, and then Grundy was able to finish Naramani for the uh, the TKO. So uh, pretty exciting back and forth fight to start things off. Next fight, Molly McCann defeated Cachoeira two rounds to one. Kind of a hilarious fight, just slot fest, low level, uh, low level MMA like we all expected. It was uh, pretty hilarious to watch McCann's eyes uh, swelled up with a you know a hematoma the size of a golf ball. So props to her from being for being tough enough to uh, grind out that victory. Uh, she won the first two rounds of that fight and then dropped the third round to Cachoeira. But next fight, uh, Ige ran through Danny Henry. Uh, you know dro- I think he dropped him, uh, dropped Danny Henry with a punch and then took his back and choked him out for the submission right away. Very nice uh, victory from Ige. Safabek Safarov defeated Nikolai Nergamanu via decision. Very another hilarious fight. Safarov was grabbing the cage nonstop. I've never seen someone break the rules of MMA more in one fight than Safabek Safarov did. He grabbed the cage 20 times in this fight. It was absolutely hilarious. I was I was cracking the fuck up so loud watching this fight. Um, you know, and his opponent was doing it too. Like the reason why the referee was letting it go is because a, um, this guy did uh, I doubt speaks a lick of English, and then b, his opponent uh, Nikolai Nergamano was grabbing the cage from time to time too. Uh, Nergamano was making his UFC debut in this one. We had some uh, some worries that he had not fought any good competition that he he would be you know rudely awakened to the UFC by Safarov, and that that really can't, that came to fruition honestly this was a so Safra, uh, Sa- did get one point deducted in the first round of this one so but he still won that round he he, he won the round pretty clearly from uh, Nergamano so I gave that first round 9-9 for Safra round two was an absolute slaughter from abs- from Safarov. he beat Nergamano within an inch of his life it was you know a 10-8 no doubt about it I would honestly give the round 10-7 you know, there were judges who scored this round 10-9. That is absolutely inexcusable. We saw a lot of bad scorecards throughout the night, and we'll get to them later. But um, I think that giving 10-9 to Safarov in round two is absolutely unexcusable. The fight was inches away from being finished. It should have been finished multiple times. It was completely dominated by Safarov. Every criteria for 10-8, 10-7, it was, you know, an absolute beating. And then in the third round, Safarov went on and, again, completely dominated the round from start to finish. It was another 10-8 round. So 9-9, 10-7, 10-8. I gave those scorecards 29-24 to to Safarov in this one. A very unique scorecard. But the judges gave it 29-26, 29-26, 29-27. So, you know, it, very worrisome that those judges didn't give those rounds 10-8. It just shows that they don't really understand 10-8 rounds. So, uh, you know, people like to debate often about 10-8s and, you know, what should have been a 10-8, what shouldn't have been. You know, that, that debate is, is, you know, is mostly hypothetical because the judges who are scoring these fights don't seem to know the criteria either. So... That being said, uh, Marty Casey just completely outclassed uh, Joseph Duffy to a uh, 3-0 decision. He pissed a shutout in this one. It was an underdog, a plus 160 or 70 underdog. Back against the wall, three-fight losing streak, and comes in and takes out Joe Duffy in this one. A uh, very nice win for Dia Casey in this one. Uh, you know, Arnold Allen shut down Jordan Rinaldi in this fight. 
Rinaldi just couldn't get the takedowns going at all, and Allen just was easily outstruck uh, uh, Rinaldi to a 3-0 decision. Jack Marshman versus John Phillips, you know, not the fight we expected at all. We expected two, you know, Welsh boxers to swing for the fences and one guy to get knocked out, but that did not really happen at all. It was kind of a low-level, uh, low-output decision, uh, mostly consisted with the boxing. I thought, you know, it was probably 1-1 going to the third. I probably edged around 3 to, uh, to Phillips, but... The judges gave it to Marshman, you know, and it was it was a you know it was not a robbery. You see a lot of people calling this fight a robbery. It wasn't, you know. John Phillips did next to nothing in round three. Neither guy did anything in round three. Neither guy really deserved to win the round, but they gave the round to Marshman. Not the worst thing in the world. Um, but uh, next fight we had Claudio Silva versus Danny Roberts. Man, this fight was so fucking painful to watch. You know, I had a bet on Danny Roberts. You know, I, I had I did a lot of tape on this one. I knew Danny Roberts had some decent jujitsu. Uh, I thought that he would be able to escape the jujitsu positions of Silva, which was true. You know, he uh, I thought that um, you know Silva would take Roberts down. Um, Roberts would get put in some submissions, but he would eventually defend those submissions and then be able to knock Silva out after Silva gasses out like he always does. That happened, you know. He, you know, Silva put him in some nasty spots. Then Roberts was able to escape. He was able to hurt Silva on the feet. He just wasn't able to finish. You know, it was one of the lowest level IQ fights I've ever seen a fighter fight. Danny Roberts had Silva out of there multiple times in this fight. Where if he just backed off, let the ref stand him up, you know, Silva would have had no legs about him. He would have landed one more punch, and Silva would have went down for the TKO. But every time Roberts hurt Silva, he would get excited. He would, you know, fall to the ground. He would get sucked into Silva's guard, and then all of a sudden he'd be defending submissions again. You know, like just the most painful fight I've ever watched because the read was there, the 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 finish was there for Roberts. The you know I could see the win the green in sight. I could see the winning bets being cashed in sight. But just the dumbest possible moves from Roberts ever to, to to go into Silva's guard and then get armbarred. You know, very controversial finish as well. Uh, you know, it looked like Silva uh, was going for an armbar. Roberts was trying to get out of there. Roberts was doing anything, everything he can to uh, get out of the armbar, and he, he might have grunted a little. He might have made a noise, ah, you know, uh, it, while he was getting out of there, and the ref stopped the fight based on a verbal tap. He didn't say, tap, tap, tap. He didn't, he didn't tap. He said, ah. You know, you know, he moaned a little bit or grunted when he was trying to get out of an armbar. And uh, you know, the, ver the it does say a scream is a verbal tap. You know, you're in an armbar and you scream, ah, you know, you scream really loud. I I'm doing these fake sound effects. I don't want to scream too loud for the microphone. I bet my real scream and my fake scream sounded uh, exactly the same. But you know what I'm saying? If a guy screams out in agony then you should stop the fight. If a guy is like, you know, kind of just grunting and kind of just moaning to get out of a bad spot, that happens all the time. You know, a tight guillotine, you get, you know, it starts constricting your neck, you start choking a little bit, but then you pop your head out. Or, you know, that happens constantly. And uh, Big John McCarthy, you know, one of the best referees in MMA history, weighed in on the situation. He said, I will let a fighter grunt. I will let them moan. I will let them, you know, make some noise in there. It's not until they shriek out in, like a, in, in pain that I'm going to stop the fight. So the, he thinks that the ref made the wrong call. I agree. You know, Dana White seemed to agree. He tweeted out saying, man, I hate when refs stop the fight. 
it seemed like Roberts could possibly have finished the fight in that last 90 seconds because Silva was just so gassed. He was clinging on to any submission he could. You know, props to Silva for staying in there. His his jiu-jitsu is, is so good that even when he is completely out, uh, out of it, you know, he's able to, you know, still threaten with the submission. So just impressive from him that he's able to do that. But, man, Silva is so bad, man. He's His cardio sucks. He's striking sucks. He gets hit constantly. And he just pulled off the victory by slimmest of margins in this one. Slimmest of margins. He's fighting dumbasses like Danny Roberts and Nordine Taleb who are, you know, engaging in the grappling with him instead of, you know, just making this one a striking battle. But, you know, painful loss. The read was there, you know. Not the worst bet in the world because, like I said, the, the win was there. It was in sight, but Roberts was just too dumb to execute it. So, with that being said, uh, Nathaniel Wood uh, ruined it, choked Jose Quinoa's very impressive performance from Wood in this one. You know, continues to be, a, I think, a blue chip pro- prospect at Bantamweight. Uh, next fight, Dominic Reyes versus Volkan Ozdemir. A bit of a controversial decision in this one. I thought Dominic Reyes won this fight clearly. I thought, you know, Vulcan had some success on the feet. You know, it was closer than I expected on the feet. And Vulcan was able to get a few takedowns in this one. But if you look at the way that he got the takedowns, Vulcan did nothing with him. He got the takedowns. Reyes was scoot, scoot back up to the fence. He got his butt to the cage and he stood up. You know, that took a lot more energy from Vulcan to get the takedown than it did for Reyes to get up. And, you know, if you look, that that is not effective grappling. Effective grappling is not taking someone down, clinging onto their legs and not having any success and not advancing position, not getting any ground and pound, not threatening any submissions. He did nothing with his ground attacks. If you scored Volcan round, I mean, I haven't watched the fight uh, over again. You know, it didn't, it wasn't exactly an exciting fight. I was, you know, at the edge of my seat to watch over again. I had some money on Reyes. I had some money on Reyes' decision. So I, you know, I was, you know, happy with the the result, obviously, and uh, you know, but I scored it in real time. I sc- I remember saying, yeah, Ray- Volkan did nothing with her grappling in that one. He was outstruck clearly. I thought I, I thought Reyes round one, one round one. I thought Reyes round all three rounds. Honestly, he looked a little sloppy doing it. He looked tired. He didn't look too good doing it. But I thought that Reyes won all three rounds. Uh, at least one judge gave. Uh, every round to Dominic Reyes too so it's really not that uh, unreasonable to score that one 3-0 for Reyes but you know in terms of you know the, the the hype on Reyes I'd say it's a little bit halted I'd say you know he definitely got exposed a little bit his takedown defense got exposed his cardio is not very good you know and he's not as you know lethal of a striker as we all expected so you know still a solid win from Reyes he got past Ozdemir in this one um and, uh, you know, people calling robbery are just sour about their uh, Ozdemir bets losing in this one. So, uh, moving on to the co-main event. Leon Edwards, you know, putting on a great performance against Gunnar Nelson. You know, his his takedown defense looked great. His striking looked great. His, you know, his elbows looked solid. You know, he actually hurt Gunnar with an elbow really bad in this one. Eventually, Gunnar uh, ended up on top and uh, was able to uh, ice out round three in this one. Uh, I, you know, I guess he won round three. You know, still a very impressive performance from Leon Edwards. He didn't really have uh, Gunnar had no success on the ground. Uh, it was just you know masterful performance from Edwards. And in the main event, we had Masvidal knock out Till, and you know an incredible fight. Fight starts off Masvidal donkey kicks Darren Till in the dick, literally one second into the fight. Right after that happened, I bet Masvidal. I was like, dude, if you get, like, he took a running start and, and like, Sparta kicked them in the balls. Like, if you don't think that that's going to affect you in the fight, you're crazy. 
So, you know, I thought, I'm like, dude, if you if you know that he got kicked in the nuts and he's still plus 175 right now, I'm, I'm going to happy to take a shot on him. So I took a little bit of a stab on Masvidal at that time. And then, here, uh, you know, you take 30 seconds for the nut shot to recover until blitzes Masvidal and drops him with the first punch he throws. I was thinking, holy shit, I'm so dumb. I thought that, you know, nut shot was going to affect him. He come, he came out like a raging bull and, and blitzed Masvidal and, not, and knocked him down. But Masvidal was able to withstand the early storm, get back to up to his feet, and then be competitive for the rest of round one. I still thought Darren Till won the round. And in between rounds, Jorge Masvidal was a 3-1 to one underdog at Bet DSI. Plus 307, I bet my man at, in between rounds. And sure enough, round two comes out. Masvidal starts looking a little better, starts you know being more comfortable at range. And then he throws himself a, a, a beautiful switch lead hook that rocked you know, that probably put Darren Till out with one punch, and then on the way down, he lands another punch as he's on the way down, and then once Till's on the canvas, Jorge Masvidal follows it up with one last, uh, one last shot, you know, a nice three-piece, uh, which we'll get to later, uh, you know, he hit, hit him with the initial hook that knocked him down, on his way down, he hit him with a punch, and then once he was on the ground, he hit him with the one that put the nail in the coffin, you know, silencing the crowd, you know, 16,000 people, uh, in London, uh, for Darren Till and, uh, Jorge Masvidal, the American comes in there and shuts that down. Uh, you know, just an incredible performance from Masvidal, you know, uh, an absolutely beautiful punch knockout of the year in my mind by far so far, you know, we've seen some crazy, uh, the, the, the other knockout that comes to mind is, um, Henry Corrales versus Aaron Pico, a crazy firefight with, you know, a, a, another stiff KO where the dude is just, you know, stiff as a board on the ground. But that was, you know, you know, you look at that, it's Aaron Pico's a lower level guy. He has five fights. Uh, you know, he it was a back and forth, you know, rocking each other type of fight. Masvidal was losing this fight. He hadn't really hurt Till with any punches so far. And then out of nowhere, he switches stances and throws a lead check hook and, you know, floors Darren Till with it. You know, an absolutely beautiful punch and a high, high-level technique. Uh, I just can't stress enough how beautiful the, that punch was for Mazdaval, getting the knockout in round two of this one. So it was a successful betting car for me in this one. Uh, I won a little bit on Ige, won on Safarov, won a little on Dia Casey decision, lost on Rinaldi, won on Marshman decision, lost on Danny Roberts. Um, let's see, I won on Reyes and Reyes' decision, and then uh, I think I won on uh, Fight Goes the Distance Live for Edwards and Nelson, and then I won on Masvidal Moneyline Live. So, you know, it was definitely a successful night for me. Hope, hopefully I can keep the momentum going in the next week and, uh, you know, keep the, keep the units going up. And uh, with that being said, we're gonna done, be done with recapping the card. But we have ourselves. Uh, we haven't. We haven't talked about the, uh, the the general news stories on the podcast for a while. The past couple of weeks, I've been you know so focused on grinding out the podcast. We've had eight UFCs in a row, so I haven't really been too willing to uh, to talk about the fights afterwards, or I mean, talk about the general news in MMA after the podcast but we'll mention a few stories now because we've had we've had some uh some some worthy news uh, in the past couple weeks so uh the one thing was conor mcgregor getting arrested for smashing the people's phone i knew that happened last week and i chose not to mention it it was such an insignificant uh, event you know conor was in public or something like that someone got too close with their phone he th- he's 
took the phone out of their hand, stomped it on the ground a bunch of times, picked it up and took it away with them. So I guess it's theft or whatever. You know, Conor McGregor, that's, he's doing Conor McGregor shit. Um, you know, he's been doing reckless shit like this. He's had a temper like this for, for years, you know. I don't I don't take any surprise in the fact of this. He got, you know, it's, a, 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 it's going to be like a misdemeanor crime. He's going to do no time. He's going to pay a fine, maybe some community service. He's done a lot worse things, and it's not worth really mentioning. Um, so uh, bigger news comes out of Tony Ferguson's way. Tony Ferguson's wife had to file, it seems like a temporary restraining order on Tony Ferguson after some uh, some issues that Tony seems to be having. You know, it seems like Tony uh, is having some some schizophrenia, some some sort of paranoia uh, going on. He thinks there's you know people people in his in his walls listening to him, or there's a computer chip in his knee after his knee surgery, and he seems to be having a lot of problems mentally. And you know that's really sad because you know we've we've known Tony Ferguson as the crazy weird guy for years, and we thought he would that was his gimmick. He just liked being weird. He was you know, a crazy, you know, enthusiastic, uh, strange guy. But, you know, now it's coming to light that he's had some, you know, pretty bad, you know, mental uh, illnesses, it looks like. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, bipolar disorder, it could be, you know, something drug related, or it could be, be like I said, schizophrenia, or, or you know, a parent, massive paranoia. I just re- feel really bad for the guy. Um, you know, he's one of the, one of the best fighters in the UFC right now. He's on a 12, 13 fight win streak, and you know he's still struggling with mental illness. And uh, it seems like he's you know going about it smart. It seems like he recognizes he has a problem. He posted the other day that he uh, went to a psychiatrist appointment, and you know the the. The MMA community has been, you know, very, very accepting of Ferguson. You know, initially we heard Ferguson had some problems with his wife over domestic problems. You're, oh shit, uh, you know, I hope he didn't hit his wife. I hope he, he didn't do anything with his his kids or anything like that. Um, and it, it it seems like that was not the case. It seems like he has not been violent. It seems like he, you know, he hasn't laid any hands on his kids or his wife. Luckily, but he's just really struggling with those mental problems. And I guess his wife seems like that's uh, that's enough for him to, you know, need a restraining order for him to, you know, maybe take the kids away from him. So super sad, super personal story on Tony Ferguson's behalf. But I can just ho- I hope the champ as it gets the help he needs, takes some time off. And, you know, comes back better than ever because he's truly one of the best fighters in the UFC. Um, let's see what we got here. A couple announced fights. Rafael Dos Santos versus Kevin Lee. Uh, Kevin Lee moving up to welterweight. You know, a solid fight in that one. Uh, Darren, or excuse me, um, not Darren Till. Uh, Donald Cerrone versus Al Iaquinta. Five-round lightweight fight. That'll be an amazing, amazing fight. Um, we had uh, Kamara Usman on the Joe Rogan Experience. That was a great po- podcast. I recommend you listen to that. Um, he talks a lot of, about a lot of cool shit in that one. And uh, the biggest news of the week, though, is coming out of TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw, uh, in, in his own words, had an adverse finding in his sample that was taken in January. So what does that mean? He failed a drug test. He, he had an adverse finding in a sample that was taken. You know, that's such a creative way of not, of alluding to the fact that you failed a drug test. Um, so, you know, we've talked about USADA millions of times before. You know, personally, I'm against it. Personally, I think it's a huge invasion of privacy. I think it's ridiculous to be testing cage fighters for putting things in their body for making them better cage fighters. 
especially in a, in a sport where throughout the history most of the cage fighters have been you know doing these performance enhancing drugs you know it's a level it's a playing field that you cannot level it's you know there people are gonna, constantly going to be having edges people are constantly going to be developing new steroids that you're not going to have the drug testing for and in order to combat the the you know the the drug problem you're having to police the fighters lives having to track their locations having people waiting outside their gyms their houses for them to show up somewhere knocking on their door at 6 a.m waking up their entire families testing their piss testing their blood i've talked about it all the time about how usada is a terribly corrupt organization uh you know just completely orchestrated by the ufc they they pick and choose who they prosecute it's a you know a terrible organization but regardless tj dillashaw failed the drug test he you know it seems like it happened uh right around his time of his fight against cj uh tj excuse me against henry cejudo um, and you know, my man has, you know, there's pictures of him out there with a table, it's him eating and a table with 40 pill bottles, 40 bottles of pills with supplements and amino acids and, you know, energy drinks and, you know, all types of fucking snake juice that the dude has taken. And, you know, as, uh, Dave Dim at Dim Space on Twitter, uh, one of the, uh, a doping, uh, expert pointed out, you know, you can see in that picture, you can zoom in on the labels and some of the companies that he's taking are, are companies that like have FDA warnings for, you know, having tainted supplements. So, you know, who knows if the dude is juicing, who cares? You know, you know, if, when I say juicing, I mean, he's taking anabolic steroids, taking, you know, in, intentionally taking performance enhancing drugs. It could be tainted supplements. Like I said, the dude is taking a bunch of snake oil that's not tested by the FDA that has problems with their, you know, tainted supplements in the past. So he could certainly be popping for that. But I do know that the dude looks like a physical specimen. He's got a crazy strength and conditioning program. He's got, uh, you know, uh, a coach, uh, a dietitian, uh, you know, some some doctor that is overseeing him 24/7 that is tracking his everybody tracking his meals tracking his you know his moods his sleep his blood pressure his calories his diet everything this guy is literally like overseeing TJ Dillashaw's live you know that's a perfect guy to you know facilitate and administer steroids to you that dude is obviously a wizard when it comes to the body he he definitely knows how to you know cycle fighters or cycle athletes on PEDs and you know that could be why TJ Dillashaw had him in there so you know it certainly could be peds it certainly could be a tainted supplement regardless what it is it's sad that he's getting you know sidelined he's one of the best fighters in the ufc he's got some of the best technique in the ufc and now he could be out for a year possibly more he relinquished his title you know the the he you know he gave up that the belt the the bantamweight title is now vacant it leaves a lot of questions who is going to fight for that you know who's going to fight marlon marias basically marlon marias deserves the title shot no no doubt about it it just depends on who's going to fight him is it going to be um former champion dominic cruz who uh you know has struggled with injuries over the past couple years is it going to be pedro munoz who's coming off and knocking out the former champion um Cody Garbrandt, who's on a really good win streak, or is it going to be Aljamain Sterling, who's also on a solid win streak at Bantamweight, picking up a nice win over Jimmy Rivera in his last fight, uh, just tapped out Cody Stammen, or there's one more guy, and that's Henry Cejudo, the the 125-pound the flyweight champion who just knocked out TJ Dillashaw. You know, 
they, they were probably going to run that fight back at 135. And I would guess that Cejudo is going to get the top, the title shot against um, Marlon Marais in this one. They're, they have the same manager, but I don't really think that's going to be too much of a problem. I think that uh, these two will end up fighting Cejudo. You know, Cejudo deserves a shot. You know, even though he's a flyweight, even though he's never fought at Bantamweight, they were going to do the rematch with TJ. The UFC was set on that. They were probably going to do it at Bantamweight. And he just knocked out the Bantamweight champion in 30 seconds. How are you not? How are you going to deny him the title shot uh, at Bantamweight? So um, it's going to be most likely um, Marlon Marais versus Henry Cejudo for the title. It's going to be a hell of a fucking fight. I can't wait for that. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that at a later date, you know, predicting uh, how that matchup's going to be going down. But that's going to be all for, for today. Um... We analyzed and predicted all 12 fights on the UFC Nashville card going down this Saturday night at 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. And we also recapped the UFC on London card that happened this past week and also talking about a few uh, big stories coming out of the week. The you know Conor McGregor arrest, the Tony Ferguson restraining order, a couple of fights that were announced, and of course the uh, big uh, drug test failure of uh, Bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw uh, forfeiting his... Uh, Bantamweight Championship. That's big, big time news. So um, that's going to be all for the podcast. We, this has been the eighth Martian MMA uh, episode in a row. We are coming back next week for UFC Philadelphia, concluding the nine week stretch of UFC events. But that is going to conclude episode 54 of Martian MMA. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the fights this weekend.